Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Patty. This week we continue our journey with the fifth Doctor and his tireless crew in Kinda. As usual, we will be discussing the Doctor, companions and villains and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story and on any story that we cover here on Time Traveling Team. So to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravelingteams at teamproductions.com. I'm wondering, how long are we going to have to clarify X, formerly known as, or Twitter, now known um, as? It's getting very annoying. I, 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 I have a feeling that there's a lot of, like, you know, Grandpa Simpsons out there. He was like, I'll be dead in the cold, cold ground before I met recognize X. Um, and speaking of Simpsons, I said this to you the other day, but I'm a I'm a member in a lot of like different Simpsons memes pages on Facebook, and because of the recent uh, upload of all the do- classic Doctor Who episodes to iPlayer and the deal that's being done with Disney, there's just so much classic Who posting now going on. It's it's great. It's hilarious. Some of them are really good, but there's a lot of first Doctor love as well. So it's always good to see that. That's awesome. Also, for those who are Probably none of you were wondering. All of you now assume that with the with the Disney Plus and the BBC iPlayer, that you know streaming of Doctor Who would be perfect for time traveling people. It fucking isn't, because no. Ireland isn't included. The Republic of Ireland, I will clarify, the Republic of Ireland isn't yes. included in the Disney Plus deal. But you also can't access BBC iPlayer from the Republic of Ireland. Nope. And while VPNs are a thing. Hmm. Um, technically speaking, with iPlayer using a VPN, you technically have to lie because you have to confirm that you have you pay a TV license, which we don't yeah. in the UK. We don't pay a British TV license, and for Disney Plus, I don't know if it actually supports VPN. So, for all of, for everyone who's like, yeah, we now have access to all of Classic Who. No, we're still going to be on the DVD train. <laughs> Yep. for a classic hoop. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and it also means that all those new little connecting bits that they've put up and whatever, yeah, we, I, well, I certainly, I don't know if I've had it, I haven't had a chance to watch those yet because... No, I, I haven't had a chance to watch them either. Yeah, same here. Someday, maybe the BBC might be nice to the good old Republic, but no. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, if you're listening, for once, you get a better Doctor Who access than we do. <laughs> okay, but enough talk for oh. the BBC. Uh, let's talk about what they yes. produced in the past. So, Paddy, do you want to give us our story recap, please? Mm-hmm. I will indeed. Part 1. In a dense jungle, a man enters the control room of a research camp. He finds the man tending the control station asleep and decides to scare him by pushing on a ceremonial native mask and wake him up. The younger man wakes up in fright and the older man rebukes him for his nervous nature. The older man, whose name is Sanders, asks for an update on a missing person, but the younger man, whose name is Hindle, says that there has been no sign of him. Hindle then says that he wants to register a formal complaint against Sanders due to him not taking the proper security measures due to recent dangerous developments. A technician named Todd arrives and Sanders asks her to back him up by saying that it is safe. Todd agrees, saying that the natives, known as the Kinda, are completely non-hostile and pose no danger to the expedition. However, she does say that there is the potential for that to change due to the hostages the expedition has recently taken. 
Sandra says that they are simply savages and then refuses to log Hindle's complaints before proceeding to berate him for his sloppy appearance. Hindle then leaves and Sanders begins his exercise regime, all the while arguing with Todd who says that Hindle could have a point as they are the only three remaining members of the expedition. Sanders brushes her off, saying that they will soon find him and he is invigorated by what's going on, citing the lapse in vigilance as all they have had as of late. Elsewhere, in the jungle, Tegan takes in her surroundings as Adric and Nissa play a game of chess. Nissa is losing as she says that she has been able to properly concentrate after her fainting spell and she suddenly grows faint again. Tegan calls out for the doctor, who emerges from the TARDIS carrying a small device that he says will help her once he has finished it. He explains that it is a Delta Wave Augmenter and that it should help restore Nissa to full health. Adric notices that the sonic screwdriver is built into the machine, but the doctor says that they shouldn't need it. He then takes Nissa inside to rest before leading the others to explore the jungle a bit. They soon come across a group of crystals hanging from the trees that reverberate when touched, almost like wind chimes. The doctor says it isn't naturally occurring and wonders who built it and for what purpose. He says that there are no clean signs of any civilization in the area, but notices that Tegan seems to be staring off into space. He asks if she is okay, and she says that she is just a bit sleepy. Adric then calls out for him, and the doctor goes to find him, leaving Tegan behind, who falls asleep. The doctor finds Adric examining a strange vehicle, and he tells him to stay back from it, as it could be dangerous. The doctor takes a look around, and says that it seems to be a piloted exploration vehicle of some type. Adric asks where the pilot is now, and the doctor notices an abandoned basket of fruit and takes a look. But as he does so, Adric closes the door of the vehicle, inadvertently activating the autopilot function. The vehicle then advances on them, forcing them through the jungle ahead of it, during which the doctor gives out to Adric for meddling. Back at the chimes, a group of kin find Tegan and decorate her in flower garlands before leaving again. The exploration vehicle brings the doctor and Adric to the expedition base, where they are met by an armed Hindle and Sanders. Hindle angrily demands that they return their missing colleague, but the doctor says that it's hard to answer questions with a gun pointed at him. Sanders has Hindle stand down and then asks the doctor what he is doing on the planet, which is called Diva Loca by the Kinda. The doctor says that he is passing through and then asks the aggressive Sanders to give him the benefit of the doubt before taking any action against them. Sanders agrees and brings them into the control room, where Todd prepares some food for them. The doctor asks what's going on, and Todd tells him that the other three members of the expedition have gone missing. Sanders suggests that it is in retaliation for the hostages that were taken, which he says is standard procedure. The doctor mentions that Tegan is still alone in the jungle and asks to know everything that, about the kinda so he can see how much danger she is in. Sanders agrees and has Todd show the doctor to the hostages and where they are kept. The doctor examines the two kinda that are being kept in the cages and berates Todd for their treatment saying their catastrophic state is as a result of the primitive brains going into shock to cope with their situation. However, Todd says that she doesn't think that they are as primitive as they seem, and points out to a woven necklace that each of them is wearing, which she says resembles a double helix. She says that she also believes that they are telepathic. She then begins to talk about the near-perfect climate on the planet, and says that Sanders may not be wrong when he described the planet as paradise. Meanwhile, Tegan suddenly wakes up and finds herself in the middle of a dark void. She wanders around and finds a pale-looking man and woman in Elizabethan-style clothing playing a game of drafts, but the woman tells her to leave, saying that she can't possibly exist in the void. They then begin discussing her presence in the void, and the man accuses the woman of conjuring her as a division from their game. Suddenly, a young man appears laughing maniacally before all three disappear, leaving Tegan alone again. <laughs> 
She continues to wander around before seeing the young man again. Tegan asks where she is, and the young man cryptically asks where she thinks she is, prompting her to say nowhere. She then notices a snake tattoo on his arm, which she says is identical to the ones that she saw on the other two people. The young man says it is the same because the three of them are the same. Tegan says that this is a dream and attempts to banish the man, but he says that she will believe him soon enough. He then produces a duplicate of Tegan, but asks for them to determine which is the real Tegan. At the expedition base, the doctor notices another kinda outside staring in, and Todd says that he is a frequent visitor, unlike the rest of the kinda who stay away. The doctor then asks for the purpose of the expedition, and Todd says that they are researching the planet for potential colonization. Suddenly Hingle comes in and demands to know what they are talking about, citing his role as security chief as entitlement to an answer. He then says that Sanders wants to see them, and after they leave, he angrily trashes the lab. He then picks up a mirror and notices the kinda staring at him, and he removes them from their cages. They stare at him intently, and one of them removes the necklace from the other and gives it to him. They then pick up the chair that he knocked over, and then kneel before Hindle as he sits down on it. In the control room, Sanders says that he intends to go out in the exploration vehicle and try and find the missing personnel. He waves off the warnings of potential threat from the kinda and prepares to leave. Adric points out that the machine may be defective, saying that that is how the previous occupant could have gone missing. Sanders then calls out for Hindle, but the doctor and Todd says that he seems to be on the verge of a nervous breakdown and that leaving him in charge could be a risk. Sanders again ignores them and he gives the newly arrived Hindle his orders, failing to notice his peculiar behaviour. Once Sanders is gone, Hindle aims his gun at the doctor and the others, telling them that they are under arrest. The two kinda appear, also aiming weapons at them, and Hindle hysterically claims that he has the power of life and death over everyone. Part 2 In the jungle, two female kinda stand in a clearing, listening to the sound of Sanders' exploration vehicle approaching. The older one, Pana, tells the younger one, Karuna, to prepare for its arrival, but Karuna says that she is afraid of it. Pana tells her that she must carry out her task, saying that it is the only way to get rid of the expedition and leave the kinda in peace. Suddenly, the male kinder who was stalking outside the dome appears, and Karuna tells Pana, who is blind, that he has arrived, calling him Aris. Karuna says that she can sense fear and confusion from him through her telepathic abilities. Through Karuna, Aris asks after his brother, but Pana says that he is in the expedition base. Pana says that she can't be distracted from their task, and tells an anxious Aris that they can't help him free his brother and for him to go away. Aris reluctantly leaves, and a few moments later, Sanders appears in the exploration vehicle. Pana tells Karuna to follow her instructions, and she approaches Sanders with a box, saying that they mean no harm before asking him to open it. Sanders takes the box inside the vehicle and opens it, and a light from inside fills the vehicle, placing Sanders into a trance. In the control room of the expedition base, the mentally unstable Hindle has dressed up the kinda in a pair of spare uniforms and is drilling them, mimicking Sanders' parade ground manner. No, I'll do that again. Uh, in the control room of the expedition base, the mentally unstable Hindle has dressed the kinda up in spare uniforms and is drilling them, mimicking Sanders' parade ground manner. He briefly checks in on the prisoners who are currently locked up in the holding cages, entertaining themselves with Adric teaching them sleight-of-hand tricks. He orders the kinda to bring them to the control room. En route, Adric asks what they are going to do about Tegan, but the doctor says that they can't do anything about her for the moment, but he also expresses concern for her. In the control room, Hindle behaves erratically, 
talking about the viral contagions in the area and his belief that Sanders will not return. He says that he intends to burn the area around the base to create a quarantine zone that will allow them to stay safe until the relief ship arrives in six months' time. Todd tells him that he is insane, but the doctor asks Hindle what he is trying to defend the base against. Hindle again states his belief that the plant life is the real danger and the kinder are merely its servants. Before the doctor can respond, Adric says he understands Hindle and offers the help. Hindle has the doctor and Todd brought back to the cells and has Adric man the security console. However, Adric creates a distraction and swipes the security keys whilst Hindle is distracted. Meanwhile, in the void, the two Tegans each insist that they are the real one, but the young man appears and says could they imagine what it would be like if there were actually more of them. They quickly were tried to resist the thought, but multiple Tegans start to appear, forcing them eventually all to merge into the one person. The young man then continues to torment Tegan, but says that he will stop if she agrees to let him inhabit her body after a short time. Tegan reluctantly agrees after she, he slowly fades her from existence. He brings her back into reality and then takes her hand, and she watches in horror as the snake from his tattoo comes alive and slithers onto her arm. Tegan then wakes up in the jungle, smiling sinisterly as she takes in her surroundings before looking at the tattoo on her arm. Back in the expedition base, Adric and the kinder bring food to the doctor and Todd. Doctor asks what Hindle is up to, but Adric, aware that Hindle is watching them through the security camera, says that they are preparing to destroy the surrounding jungle. He then attempts to pass the keys to the doctor via sleight of hand, but Hindle notices it and warns them that they will regret trying to trick him. He orders the kinder to bring them all back to the control room and then has them begin to torture Adric. The doctor asks him to stop and Hindle agrees, but says that he will need to figure out a suitable punishment. In an effort to get him to safety, the doctor suggests banishing him to the jungle, but Hindle says that it is too dangerous. Suddenly they see the exploration vehicle returning, with Sanders inside it, and Hindle breaks down sobbing, calling for his mother to keep Sanders away. Todd expresses her relief at his return, but says that she can't understand why the kin decided with Hindle, leading the doctor to say that maybe something more dangerous lives out in the jungle. Hindle quickly composes himself and goes to meet Sanders, who enters the base smiling and says that he has a present for him. He hands Hindle the box and asks him to open it, but Hindle nervously says that he will open it later. They then go back to the control room where the doctor is perturbed by Sanders' strange behaviour. Out in the jungle, the possessed Tegan encounters Aris and says that she senses his fears and worries for his brother being held in the expedition base. She offers to help him free his people and remove the expedition entirely. The entity inside her identifies itself as the Mara, and Aris watches in shock as the snake tattoo passes from her arm to his, causing him to scream in pain. Aris, now capable of speech, places the unconscious Tegan on the ground before running off, laughing maniacally. Back in the expedition base, the Doctor, Todd and Sanders are all placed in the holding cages with the box, and the Doctor asks Sanders about it, but he says that he can't remember anything about it. Hindle demands that the Doctor open the box, and the Doctor does so, causing Todd to scream in protest. Part 3. Todd's screams prove to be unwarranted as the box is actually a jack-in-the-box style toy, prompting her and the others to laugh. Hindle angrily demands to know what is going on and the doctor calls back nothing. However, he notices something else in the box and as he takes a closer look, the power suddenly goes out in the base. The cage door opens by itself and the doctor and Todd go to take a look around. Suddenly, they each receive the same vision of Panna and Karuna summoning them onwards. The vision ends and the Doctor says that they somehow the box acts as a conduit to connect them to the kinder. He says that Sanders' more polite demeanour is his mind's way of defending itself after what he saw. 
He tells Todd to leave him behind, saying that he would be safer, and tells her that the answers they seek are with the kinder. They manage to escape as the base goes into full lockdown mode, and the doctor leads her through the jungle, insisting that the vision that they saw was real. The doctor flips a coin to see which way to go, but Todd chooses for him and walks off into the jungle, forcing the doctor to follow her. After a while, Todd says that she thinks they are being followed, and after a few moments, the doctor agrees. Suddenly, they are surrounded by a large amount of kinda, which Todd says is unusual as they normally gather in smaller groups. One of the kinda, a type of court jester, performs a few tumbles, which Todd says is most likely in an effort to diffuse the tension of the situation. Todd tells the doctor to do something in return, and he performs one of Adric's sleight of hand tricks. The kinda applauds his efforts, but Aris suddenly appears and demands that they be apprehended, startling everyone by speaking aloud. Karuna emerges from the crowd and tries to read his mind, but he resists her attempts. Another male kinda goes to Karuna and telepathically relays to her an ancient prophecy that says, when offworlders arrive, then a male kinda will finally speak and lead their people. Aris again orders them to be apprehended, but Karuna says he see Pana and leads the doctor and Todd to her, whilst the jester holds off Aris. Back in the base, Adric brings Sanders and the box to Hindle, but he says that he doesn't want to see it. He also refuses to let Adric go and look for the others, and his mania worsens as he says he intends to initiate the final safety protocol of destroying the base in order to protect their own homeworld. He orders Sanders to start rigging up the charges, who says the total area of destruction will end up being about 30 square miles. Hindle then orders one of the kindred to hold the detonator before telling Adric and Sanders to help them construct a model out of various boxes and cases in the control room. Adric angers Hindle by refusing to take part, but Sanders assuages him by eagerly starting the construction process. Adric manages to slip away, but Sanders is sent to bring him back, and he finds the boy looking for the exploration vehicle. Sanders leads Adric back to the control room, calmly telling him that they can't upset Hindle. Back in the jungle, Karuna leads the Doctor and Todd towards Pana's cave. The Doctor asks if they have seen Tegan, and Karuna says that they did, but they will bring him to her later. The Doctor then asks about Aris, and Karuna reveals that he is one of her seven fathers, but doesn't elaborate on the logistics of it. They soon arrive at Pana's cave, and the old woman emerges to meet them, shocked by the Doctor's presence as well as his mental stability, seeing that the opening of the box usually renders any man that opens it back to a childlike state. Karuna tells her about Aris, and she solemnly says that history is repeating itself, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. She says that she summoned Todd so she can explain everything to her in an effort to help convince her to take the expedition off the planet. Aris suddenly appears and calls out for Pana. She tells the Doctor and Todd to stay behind, whilst she and Karuna go outside to confront Aris. They see that more of the kind have followed Aris, and Pana asks Karuna to read them to see how many actually support Aris. Karuna painfully says that they are all showing unwavering obedience towards him. She starts to go back to Pana, but Aris orders her to come to his side, and she does so, going into the same trance-like state as the rest of the kinda. Pana begins to berate Aris, saying his actions will lead them down the same self-destructive pathway that their ancestors followed. Suddenly she grows frightened as she can sense the marrow within him, and demands to know who he really is. Worried at being caught out, Aris leads the kinda to the base and the doctor asks if Todd or Pana noticed the snake tattoo on his arm. Pana explains it is the mark of the Mara and the doctor says that he has only heard legends of it. Pana says that they must listen to her so they can fully understand what they are going up against. 
Pan opens a portal, telling the Doctor and Todd that they must go through it to find the answers they seek. Inside, they see a group of kinda milling about in a clearing, which is surrounded by different types of timekeeping devices, from digital clocks to sundials. They see the Jester performing tricks before falling to the ground in a fit as the timekeeping devices approach midnight. Todd says that they must help him, but the Doctor says that there is nothing they can do, as this is the end of all things. Suddenly the vision fades with the sound of evil laughter that Doctor says is familiar to Aris's laughter. The Doctor says they need to go back to the base to stop Aris's attack and tells Todd to get Panna as they will need her to guide them. However, Todd says that it looks like she is dead. Part 4 The Doctor examines Panna, theorising that her bodily functions have slowed down due to her being in a deep trance, presumably to show them the vision that they just witnessed. However, he reveals that she has actually died but they are suddenly interrupted by the arrival of Karuna, who takes Panna's staff from her lifeless body. The doctor tells her that her mentor is dead, but Karuna speaks to him as Panna had previously done. Karuna reveals that when Panna died, all her knowledge and power transferred to her, which has happened to all previous wise women and their apprentices. Todd asks about the vision, and the doctor says it is what will happen if they don't stop the Mara. Todd asks what the Mara is, and Karuna says that it is an entity that resides in the dark corners of reality, but can only cross over when it comes into contact with an unshielded mind. Doctor realises that Tegan is how the Mara crossed over. They go to the place with the chimes and find Tegan still unconscious. Karuna explains that the area is where the kind come to share a dream state, but it is forbidden for anyone to dream there alone. The Doctor wakes Tegan up, who is confused as to what has happened. She says that she has had strange dreams, but is reluctant to reveal them. The doctor reveals that she has been asleep for nearly two days and begs her to tell him about the dreams. She tells him about her encounter in the void with the strange figures and then waking up and meeting Aris. The doctor says that the Mara is using Aris to attack the base and they need to go back there to stop it. At the base, Hindal observes Sanders as he starts making miniature figures to go inside the model they are building. Adric continues to plead to be allowed to go outside and eventually does so when Hindal ignores him in favour of the model. Outside, Aris and the rest of the kinder arrive and he orders them to gather branches so they can build their own version of the exploration vehicle, which he says will help destroy the base. The exploration vehicle soon comes out and Aris orders them to attack it. The kinder swarm it and attempt to tip it over but flee when it starts firing distress flares. The Doctor and the others arrive to the base and watches the kinder flee. Doctor sees Adric is inside the exploration vehicle, begging for someone to help him. Doctor rushes to him and tells him to calm down as he explains that the exploration vehicle is powered by his brainwaves. Adric stumbles out of the machine and the doctor asks if he is alright. Adric tells him about Hindle and his pens and the doctor and Todd rush inside the base, leaving Tegan and Karuna to look after Adric, who remorsefully asks about the kinder that he hurt. Inside the base, the Doctor and Todd find Sanders at the completed model, which he says is a representation of the new capital city that they will build on the planet. Hindle emerges from inside the model and tells him about his plans to defend the base. Todd, seeing him exhibit the darker side of his mania, quickly distracts him with questions about the model city. The Doctor uses the distraction to try and dismantle the detonator the Kinder is holding, but Hindle stops him. The Doctor quickly asks him about how he controls the Kinder, and he explains that he has convinced them that he has captured their souls in the mirror he used to look at them. He then notices that the Doctor has accidentally stepped on the miniature people in the model, and it sends him over the edge, causing him to reach for the detonator. 
Lotter grapples him, and in the struggle, the mirror breaks, freeing the kinder from their mental impairment. Hindle gets free, but Todd distracts him with the wooden box and swaps it for the detonator, telling him not to open it. However, as she anticipated, Hindle opens the box and enters the same childlike state as Sanders. Meanwhile, at the base entrance, Adric insists that he needs to do something to help, but Tegan says that he should let the doctor handle things. Suddenly, the lights around them begin to flicker due to the energy fluctuations caused by the opening of the box, leading them to mistakenly believe that the doctor has failed to stop Hindle. However, the lights come back on and Adric begins to blame Tegan for their predicament, saying that it is a result of her having a weak mind. Tegan retorts by saying that he wasn't doing so well in the exploration vehicle, but Adric says that he would have been able to control it if the doctor hadn't interfered. The doctor overhears this remark, but ignores it when Tegan asks him about the explosives. He tells him that they are all safe for now and explains how the box, which he says is a sophisticated healing machine developed by the Kinda, brought Hindle's mind back to normal. He says that they need to find Aris before he is destroyed by the Mara. Adric asks how they freed the Kinda from Hindle's control, and the doctor mentions the mirror, which he realizes is the key to saving Aris. He asks if Adric discovered any large reflective surfaces in the base, and he says that there is a stack of solar panels in the storage room. The doctor explains to a confused Tegan that evil cannot stand to see its own reflection, and so they will force the Mara out of Aris with the solar panels and cause it to retreat back to where it came from. Todd asks if Aris will be alright, and the doctor says he hopes so, but he doesn't know for sure. Later, Aris, who was wounded by Adric's attack, staggers through the jungle and approaches the clearing where the doctor has laid his trap. He spots Karuna and gives chase until he finds the doctor waiting for him. The doctor signals for the trap, and the kinda emerge from hiding and form a shield around Aris, trapping him in a circle of reflective surfaces. The doctor, taking cover behind the shield, tells everyone to be ready to pull Aris to safety once the Mara detaches itself from his body. Inside the circle, Aris screams in pain as the snake tattoo comes to life and rides free from his body. The doctor orders him to be dragged clear as the Mara grows exponentially, eventually becoming 30 foot in length and gigantic in proportions. The doctor notices Tegan struggling to resist its power and tells her to stay strong whilst warning the kinda not to leave any gaps in the circle. The Mara trashes around, looking for a way out before eventually vanishing in a burst of purple light. The Doctor checks on Aris and says that he will be alright. Karuna then says that they are now free of the Mara's curse, and the Doctor leads the others back to the base. Outside the base, a much more mature but pacifistic Sanders and Hindle discuss whether or not they should input the recent events into the expedition log. Sanders decides to stay on the planet, but Todd says that she will leave, but has recommended that the planet not be used for colonization. The Doctor bids her farewell before rejoining his companions and a completely recovered Nyssa. She asks what they were up to, and the Doctor nonchalantly says a bit of fun before leading them back to the TARDIS. End of the story. So now that the doctor has defeated one of my mortal fears, <laughs> fuck's sake, like, like, like that snake was, to me, it was supremely creepy. Just no. The, the, the big one at the end or the arm one? Um, or both? Well, see, the, the, one, the arm one was really kind of indistinct. So uh, it, it looked just like a multicolored worm. But the big one at the end, no, me no likey. <laughs> Do you want me to do trivia while you recover? 
Yeah, please do. <laughs> the Erdogan story is the 1st to the 9th of February 1982. The writer of the story is Christopher Barry. This is the first of two on-screen writing credits for Christopher. We'll see his work again in Paris of Paris Snake Dance. Mm. He also wrote the audio story The Children of Seth. The director for the story is Peter Grumwade. This is the third of four stories directed by Peter. We previously saw his work in Full Circle and Legopolis, and we'll see his work one final time in Earthshock. Kindle was commissioned by Christopher Bidmead, worked on by Anthony Rouge, and actually produced under Eric Sorward. It therefore is, at least in the running, or if not the winner, of the serial that went through the most script editors. <laughs> <laughs> The working title of the story was The Kinda, ends up going with just Kinda, obviously. Interestingly, even though the story contains a lot of biblical references, so an arboreal paradise, a serpent, apples, etc., um, it's actually based on Buddhist concepts. So the name of the planet Deva Loka or Deva Loka or Loka um, means realm of the gods. The Mara derives from a demon of the same name in Buddhist mythology, which is symbol which symbolizes temptation rather than evil necessarily, um, or at least in the sense of like sinfulness mm-hmm. of temptation. Um, Dukkha, which is the name for the um, Mara manifestation that takes over Tegan, Pana, Karuna, Anatta, and Anaka are all names and their their names and functions all derive from Buddhism as well. So Dukkha is suffering. It's also a play on the word doctor. Pana is wisdom. Karuna is compassion. Anatta is not self. And Anika is impermanent. Which all sort of tie together in with the characters that we actually see in the story. I think this like this isn't the first time we've had like names that are inspired by other cultures or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always nice when you see that not only is the name inspired by the culture, but they tie that into the story in terms of the character as well. This is the only story of the Peter Peter Davidson era that doesn't go through the TARDIS interior scenes. We have like the beginning part. That's it. There's no major stuff happening in terms of the TARDIS. Um, everything takes place outside. If we exclude K9, which we shouldn't, but if we did, um, Kindo was the first occasion since the show started filming in colour that a companion was absent from the narrative for an entire episode. Back when the show was in black and white, this was done because an actor needed to take a holiday mm. because they used to have a year-long production schedule. However, this time around, it's Nissa being absent, which is more akin. There's two different conflicting reasons that are given here. One is that the writer didn't know that Nissa would be in the story and therefore didn't initially create a function for her, similar to Jamie in the moon base, where Jamie was ill because mm-hmm. the original plot didn't have anything for him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... Um, Sarah Sutton's contract was being negotiated, so there was like there was no cut to Nissa lying there doing nothing because Sarah wasn't around because her contract was being renegotiated. Uh, apparently, Sarah didn't mind the fact that 
you know, she had two episodes off, but she took time to go shopping. But why not? I did that too. I might as well. Um, while the exact date in which the story is set isn't clear, Todd does mention that their unnamed mother world, which could be Earth, maybe, um, is vastly overpopulated, which could indicate that it takes place in the same era as Colony in Space if the mother world is meant to be Earth. Hmm. Uh, according to Doctor Who magazine number 104, this was Janet Fielding's favourite script. Peter Davidson also loved it. He felt it gave um, Janet more to do than raise her eyes and get angry at the Doctor. And I'm sure we'll discuss that a bit more later on. So I've said that the story is also a striking allegory for Australian colonialism, particularly obviously with the character of Tegan. A lot of stuff gets worked out with that particular lens. Mm-hmm. It's not sure if this was intentional, but there are many similarities between both the kinder themselves and their colonizers and those of the Australian Australian Aboriginal people and their colonizers. The automatic dismissal of their status and intelligence, out of ignorance or indifference. A similar kinship you know, similar kinship systems are also being reflected in terms of one's nature, etc. The period of creation Aboriginal lore is also known as the dream time or the dreaming and the snake or serpent is a prominent feature in that. That's cool. And going back to the Buddhist yeah, going back to the Buddhist thing for a second, um, Christopher Bigley said that he actually regrets using the Buddhist names in the script. Um and the way he described it was like if you were making a Japanese show, you'd think twice about calling one of your characters Jesus Christ. Which I can kind of get when they're going for the Garden of Eden mm. allegory. Why was he putting all of these Buddhist names in there? Um, which I can kind of get. Yeah. He also thought that the production was poor. Um, although he did really admire Simon Rouse's performance as Hindle, he was horrified by the cardboard box construction of the model city which he thinks should have been taken as a more serious thing. It was them building a city. He wanted it to actually look like they were building a mm. city, not something that your daughter would make maybe if she was bored. <laughs> um, he didn't like, as he called it, the garden centre look of the planet either um, and asked if they couldn't realise his ideas. Why didn't they ask him for couple ideas that could be realised? Um. He also said he particularly hated the shampoo advert hippies that were playing the natives. <laughs> uh, so a couple of criticisms there coming from Christopher Bailey. Mm. Um, understandably so. Uh, Matthew Waterhouse felt that he gave his best performance in the story and the, produc- the production was emotionally deeper than usual. Again, I'm sure we'll talk about his performance later on. Um, Apparently, Christopher Bailey originally wrote this script with the fourth Doctor in mind. And he originally visited the Doctor playing the sort of role of a wise sage. But with the younger Doctor, um, they sort of realized that wouldn't suit anymore. So they changed up a bit. Mm. Uh, Neris Hughes says in the DVD commentary that she was completely baffled by the script. Just going back there, like I actually would be very curious to see Tom's Doctor uh, in the story. Yeah, and we might get to that when we talk about the Doctor in general in the mm-hmm. story, but I did have a few things where I was like, oh, that's, hmm, that would have been different if done by a different yeah. Doctor. 
Um, the, the relationship between Christopher Bailey and Eric Starward was uneasy, to say the least. Um, the author felt that the script editor was performing unnecessarily broad rewrites on his episodes, forcing him to make further changes at the last minute in attempts to find the middle ground. According to Starward, Bailey at one point says, My themes, where have they gone? To which Starward replied, It was either this or we rejected it. Um, Bailey found the rewrites clunky and he rewrote the script himself. Um, Jonathan Turner apparently disapproved of the intended final scene in which Saunders and Hindle link arms and walk into the forest holding a flower. He thought it would be too campy in order to be excised from the shooting script. Interesting. Um, apparently the colonial subtext was Jonathan Turner's idea and so were the pith helmets that um, Hindle and Saunders were. I thought the pith helmets were an unusual choice. They look fucking stupid. Yeah, I was going to... You've this... It's it's one of those things that we're like, okay, I understand where you're kind of going with it, but at the same time, a few like the futuristic explorers or the futuristic colonizers, they wouldn't be wearing khaki and wearing and having pith helmets. You could like, I'm pretty sure they did wear like a futuristic derivative thereof. But when you're actually using mm. Victorian era stuff, it's like nah. Yeah, I'd agree. When they were editing the story, they found that um, although parts one and two overran significantly, which meant there was a couple of edits that were made. Part four could not be made to stretch to fit the requisite duration. Um, and because of the structure of part three, they couldn't just move something over to fill the gap. So um, Eric Sorward was forced to ask us for Bailey to provide four minutes worth of extra material, featuring only the regular cast to pad out the episode. He developed two scenes in the Expedition Dome's airlock, one involving Tegan and Adric, Discussing Hindle's bomb and the other with the doctor assures them that Hindle is no longer a threat. I will say those two scenes do seem massively out of place, and now I understand why. Hmm. Uh, Peter Grimwood was also unhappy with the forest that he thought it gave away the studio by nature. Um, considerable time was spent uh, hiding the studio floor underneath scattered leaves, which also resulted in some material being taped without the benefit of camera rehearsals. He ultimately was forced to abandon some of his planned shots, including complex effects sequences in which Panna sat atop a crumbling plinth. The visual effects designer, Peter Logan, was infuriated that so much thought and planning had gone to waste, and he subsequently requested a special effect to be given greater consideration in the future. Not a poor thing. Uh, Peter was also concerned about some of the symbolism in Tegan's dream environment, as he thought that some of the elements, such as the phallic nature, of the Mara's serpentine form were too adult, and so he tried to tone them down. I don't know if, what we got with the toned down version, or if he wanted to yeah. tone them down more. It's interesting. <laughs> Tika's dream environment was referred to as the wherever in the script, while Pana's vision was described as being set in the beyond. At late station production, it was decided to substantially shorten the dream sequences, including dropping plans for the appearance of a plant creature, which could explain Hindle's going on about the plants taking over. Yeah. Um, the visual, the BBC visual effects department, though, had already started building the prop, meaning that the associated expense would be squandered. Again, a lot of waste of money. 
Sarah Sutton and Sarah Prince, who's also in the story, were drama school together, but they don't share any screen time in the story, which I always find quite sad. These people who were together mm. at drama school or something and aren't in the story. I think you and I were talking about Brian Blessed and Patrick Stewart um, on a similar thing that I thought is. One of the uncredited child actors in the story um, is actually a future film and TV star Johnny Lee Miller. Really? Um, was also in this. Yeah. Must go back and take um, a look for him. <laughs> Richard Todd, who plays Sanders, um, is the first Best Actor nominee to appear in Doctor Who. He was also asked to tone down his performance in rehearsals, as John Nathan Turner thought it was a bit too over the top. So, uh, too Oscar-worthy. So dial it back, please. There's, there was one thing that was driving me mad during this production. It's like, the actor whose name is Richard Todd is not playing the character called Todd. There's another character called fucking Todd in the story. And I was like, oh, God, it was just so infuriating. Let's go on to our characters. So, as Todd, we have Nerys Hughes, and this is the only Doctor Who credit for Nerys, though she does appear in Torchwood as Reese's mother in the episode Something Borrowed. She's also done a couple of audio stories um, within the Doctor Who sphere as well. Uh, her non Who credits include the Lib. I always say, is it the Liverbirds or the Liverbirds? I've never seen it, also. I don't know. I think, it's the, I think it's the Liverbirds. Okay, we'll go with Liverbirds. Uh, the District Nurse, Festival, and The Queen's Nose. Do you remember The Queen's Nose? Nope. The Queen's Nose is a British children's TV program, and I always get The Queen's Nose and Bernard's Watch confused. Hmm. So Bernard's Watch was a kid with a stop, with a like an old timey watch that when he clicked it, time would stop. Yeah. The Queen's Nose was a show with a group of kids who found a magical 50 pence piece that when they flipped it would grant wishes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember, but apparently only ran for a couple of episodes, but I, don't, I do distinctly remember it. Saunders is played by, as you said, Richard Todd. <laughs> uh, only Doctor Who acting credit for Richard. I mentioned his Oscar nomination. That was for his performance in the 1949 film The Hasty Heart. He also appeared alongside William Hartnell in the 1957 film Yangtze Incident. I must look that up. Yeah. Richard is a veteran of the Normandy landings, or friend was a veteran of the Normandy landings, and he was well known for his work in war dramas such as The Dam Busters and The Longest Day. He I... also played Robin Hood in Disney's The Story of Robin Hood and the Merry Men. Just one interesting thing there about The Longest Day. So uh, Richard Todd was a paratrooper and he was in the previous nighttime landings. And in The Longest Day, he plays Major John Howard, who was like the overall commanding officer for his uh, brigade. Uh, there's a scene where at Richard Todd as Major Howard meets Richard Todd played by a different actor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he also played Robin Hood in... Disney's The Story of Robin Hood and the Merry Men, which I think is where the Robin Hood theme tune that always goes through my head comes from. I think that comes from that film. What's um, the theme tune that goes through your head? I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was like Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Riding through the glen. Running through the glen. Riding through the glen. Robin Hood, Robin Hood with his band of men. Very I think that comes from that film. It might possibly be. It was- um, 
Richard became an OBE in 1993 before passing away in 2009. Hindel is played by Simon Rice, as I mentioned. Only on-screen Doctor Who credit for Simon, though he also voiced a number of characters for Big Finish. His non-Who credits include Sam, Crown Court, Carnation Street, The Bill, and Broadchurch. Hannah is played by Mary Morris. Only Doctor Who acting credit for Mary, though she had been earlier considered for the role of Marin in The Brain of Morbius, and I can totally see it because I did for a second think mm. that she was the woman who played Marin. She's not. She looks a lot like her, and at one point they were considering having her play her. Her non-Who credits include Victoria Grey, uh, Victoria the Great, The Trial of Madeline Smith, An Age of Kings, A for Andromeda, The Andromeda Breakthrough, Prisoner, and Richard II. Mary passed away in 1988. Karuna is played by Sarah Prince, as I mentioned. Only Doctor Who credit for Sarah. Her non-credits include Ballet Shoes, Scandal, and The Bill. Duca, who is the manifestation of the Mara that Tegan interacts with the most, is mm. played by Jeff Stewart. Only Doctor Who acting credit for Jeff. His non-Who credits include The Nightmare Man, Bill, The Skin, and The Third. Lastly, as Aris, we have Adrian Mills. Only Doctor Who acting credit for Adrian. His non-Who credits include That's Life, TV Travel Shop, Minder, That's My Boy, and Waiting for God. Uh, there's one other person in it. You know, I, he's not in it enough to get warrant a full trivia note. But you know the court jester. Hmm. Uh, he plays the barman from Bottom. Uh, the barman whose name is amazingly Dick Head. So thank you for that interesting trivia. There's some really, like, really interesting production stuff going on in this story. Yeah, I think a lot more than usually we have production notes for. And like, the thing, the thing was like you were talking about, like the the names, the the Buddhist names, because none of the Mara entities are actually named in the story. The, mm. Yeah, like it's just I suppose their their accreditation. Whereas Karuna and Pan are the only ones that have any sort of are actually named on screen. Yeah. Um. Cool. So, but yeah, we're now on to the next stage, which is the character discussion. So this week we have the Doctor. We have companions of not Nissa, but mm. Tegan and Adric, and Todd. Yeah, I put Todd in as a story companion. Yeah, uh, then prominent characters of Panna, Karuna, Hindel, and Sanders, and then mm-hmm. the Mara, because Aris is really only possessed by Aris. Is just a, a, a possession. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a, actually one thing I forgot to ask while you were doing the trivia is was it just me or did you notice that when Tegan and Aris are possessed, it almost looks like their gums are bleeding? Yeah, no, I noticed that too. Yeah, I think it's to make their teeth and their mouths look a bit more like your man. Yeah, because like dirt. to to give everyone. Um, the dreamscape, the dreamscape looks like a nineteen eighties Bowie video, where it's like very muted color palettes, and the Mar and so Duka and the other two Mar entities, they're just almost like their entire bodies are powdered, and mm. because it's such a mat, uh, like a muted color palette, like 
their gums and their eye their eye eye colors really pop out in terms of color. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, it was a to sort of help us see visually without having to look at her arm the whole time that yeah. she is possessed. Cool. Um, so you did the socials this week, so you get to lead us I off did. in the discussion. So your thoughts on the doctor, please. I thought the doctor was good in this one. Definitely felt more connected to him with him in this one than I did last week. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I found interesting, I don't know like if the, if this struck you that his inability to perform the magic tricks that Atric was doing. Mm. I'm like, no, nah. like the doctor knows this shit. Like, come on. Yeah, because I don't know if it was that he was like entertaining Adric or if he legit didn't have a fucking clue what he was doing. Because like, didn't the third doctor do sleight of hand magic to get out of something at some point? Pretty sure yeah, he did. Yeah, but it's also, yeah, and I can imagine like Tom's doctor being familiar with it and whatever. Mm. I just, it just, it just, it just struck me as weird. It just struck me as weird. And yeah. um, other than that, I love that, like, Hannah refers to the doctor as the idiot. Mm. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good one for him. To be honest, he, other than the mirrors at the end, there wasn't really a whole lot of the doctor solving things here. Yeah. He was sort of there experiencing mm. plot with everybody else. Um, but in fairness, Peter did, did a good performance. I said I connected with the character much more than I did last week. Last week, you know, I struggled to connect with Peter in the role. Really connected well with him this week. I think the dynamics with everyone this week were a bit more consistent with what we saw in um his first story. Mm. Which again is weird because of the shooting order or that yeah. worked out. Um but he seemed much more comfortable with them. Which makes sense in the passage of time, but seems weird in connection to last week. Um, and yeah, I think it was a good performance. Is it the strongest Doctor story ever? No. Um, you know, did we get a really good Doctor monologue? No. Um, was it funny watching Todd just look at him going, what the fuck is up with you, you crazy person? Yes. Mm. Um, so yeah, overall, I think it was a good performance. Not not the best and not the strongest story for the Fifth Doctor, I don't think. I think certainly there'll be better ones. Um, but, you know, I didn't have anything majorly critical to say about him. Uh, how about you? Um, I think maybe we're in a bit of an inverse with this week, because like, this week, mm. I actually, I, I struggled to kind of connect with him, because Okay for a lot of it he felt like like a tertiary protagonist like he's mm-hmm. there but he's not at the forefront I, I just found it hard. like his partnership with Todd is, is is good to watch like watching them kind of bounce back and forth off each other um, and then as you said yeah like the connection with Pana it, 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 I have thoughts on it and it just brought me back to some earlier uh, character interactions um, which was fun um, but there was a couple of things that kind of stood out for me which were kind of strange like he spends anytime that he's in the dome he's concerned about 
about Tegan. You know, like, like where is mm. Tegan? And then he gets out, and then he finds out where she is, but he's happy to leave her alone there, as opposed to actually because like, they were like, "Oh yeah, we found her, but we left her there." Mm. It's like that. That self, I felt kind of strange that the doctor wouldn't ask to see where she was or to be taken to her immediately. I know that Pana wanted to see, but like I can't go to Pana without making sure that Tegan is okay first of all. So I felt that, that was a bit, a bit. I know we've had talks before about doctors forgetting companions in like precarious situations. Um, so yeah, that that one just kind of sat strange with me. Um, I get where you're coming from with that. I would chalk it up more though to be like Sarah Jane and Genesis the Daleks, where. You know, clearly Harry and the Doctor are worried about her. They don't know where she is. They don't know if she's dead. Something's happened or whatever. Mm. But they have more pressing issues at hand that have to be dealt with. Whereas in this case, you know, um, Todd knows that the planet is relatively safe. There's mm. no large predators, no anything. So when um, when Karuna says, oh, I know where she is. She's fine. I think the doctor sort of goes on trust a bit. Yeah. Because he like, knows there's no large predators here. Like, what's going to hurt her? Now, he doesn't realize that the mark can enter her brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have that information. That yeah, no, yeah, no. He doesn't. He, he does, yeah. Like, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be holding that against, uh, because even, even Pana doesn't realize that the Damara could potentially be on the loose. So, like, mm. can't hold that factor against it. So yeah, no, I suppose given the fact that it's a, apparently a paradise, that does kind of make a bit of sense. All right, um, mm. and like at the very end with the, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, like I I get that it was probably a logistical nightmare, but he kept saying like you'll close those gaps and the amount of fucking gaps that were between. I, I was like, I oh god, almighty, you could march an elephant herd through it. Um, but I suppose maybe in one sense it was interesting to see the Doctor going on a bit of a learning experience because mm. while you know, it's always good to see the Doctor do the investigation, it, this is one of those times where like it felt like he absolutely knew nothing. Mm. And like, er, er, like he was guessing the whole time about, oh, it's uh, the Kinder are catatonic because their primitive minds can't handle it. No, 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 we actually think they're quite intelligent and potentially telepathic. Um the bo- oh, Sanders has been reduced to a childlike state in order to defend itself. No, no, it's actually a healing machine. Uh, or what was the other one then was, oh, maybe her body has body has just slowed down to a comedy. No, 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 she's actually dead. <laughs> um, it's, it, it just felt like he was, I think this was the first time where it, it, it actually felt like we were watching a young doctor, you know? Mm. Um. And I think maybe that's just a bit of a jarring experience because we're so used to seeing the Doctor having all this worldly experience. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I preferred him in previous one to this one. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. we were allowed to have differing opinions. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> it almost felt like you were saying just so long as one of us realized that the other one is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, I would no, no, never I was... say that out loud. 
<laughs> no, but no, like to be fair, like it is as I said, like this is this is new territory for you, and it's kind of like second time around for me, and mm. like it's interesting to see like where the mind goes towards Peter Davison. And like as I said, Toddy had a good first showing in Castrovalva. I liked him last week because I thought, despite the shooting schedule, he seemed natural here. But here, just a bit kind of off for me. But again, mm. there's a there's a good bit in this kind of story that just doesn't really hit. I think. Mm. But uh, we'll, we'll go on to the companions there, if you want. Yeah. So we've got Adric, Tegan, and Todd. Do you prefer to order for me to cover those? Yeah, whatever order. That order? <laughs> um, yeah, I I think Adric Teague and Todd is a good order to go with, especially with some of the comments I have. <laughs> okay, Adric. The writers need to come up with something else for Adric other than asshole to the other companions for reasons beyond my knowledge, and. Guy whose function it is to pretend to be on the other side in order to progress the plot. Like, ev- nearly every story this guy has been in this season, he has pretended to be on the other team or has been forced to be on the other team. Like, literally, so Castro Balva, he was forced. forced to be on the other team last yeah. week. He was kind of brainwashed into it, but also kind of really believed it. This yeah. week, he's pretending. In previous stories with the fourth Doctor, he also pretended to be on the other side. But Give also... him something else, for the love of God. Like, in fairness, he plays it well. Like, Matthew Waterhouse plays it well, because you have that young innocence with mm. Adric. But, like, do something else with him. Do something else, for the love of God. And also, why is he such an asshole to Tegan? Mm. Like, dude, what did she ever do to you? Like, again, I'm getting the feeling that they don't know how to write a teenager. So they have him freaking out in the machine because he's lost control and he's afraid he's hurting people and whatever. It's a genuine fear. But then they have him getting like super defensive and like, well, like, it's not as bad as what happened to you. You were way worse than me. Da, 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 da. I was like, oh, fuck off. Like, why is he doing this? Why? Like, we had a couple of examples in his time with Romana and the fourth doctor where he was maybe a little bit sexist. <laughs> but it was the sexism that comes from naivety and that comes from youth, right? But since this changeover, he's just like, well, I'm better than I. Than, than he, and better than Nitra, but sometimes she's smarter than me, and that's sort of off putting. But I'm definitely fucking better than Tegan because not only is she a woman, she's an Earth woman. So fuck her. Mm. And I'm like, no, no. Like, I, we discussed it when he was first introduced to the character. I didn't get the Adra case. His first few stories, I thought he did really well. I'm fucking getting it now. I'm mm. getting it now. I think because most people associate him with being a fifth doctor companion. Yeah. This is the adjective that comes to mind. Um, other things in the story, I mean, he was concerned about Tegan's welfare, you know, for a dues, but like, no, he just wrecked my head. And like Matthew gives a good performance, but he's giving a good performance of somebody who's annoying. 
Hmm. How about you? Um, so he is venturing really, really deep into ass. Or would you just fuck off, Adric? You know, very hmm. uh, venturing deep into that. Here, I will give Matthew credit for his line read because this time when he uh, was saying, you know, trying to get on Hindle's side, it's like, oh, I can actually tell that he's only pretending now. Because mm. like in previous instances when he's been pretending, it actually came across as really serious to the audience. Or no, it, mm. it, came, it came across really weird in the sense of like, are you trying to be serious? Or are you not trying to be serious? It's a bit fucking, it was the same with last week with Ford to Doomsday. Whereas here it was like, all right, now I can actually tell that it's a fucking ruse. Um... Mm. But I, I, for a lot of this, he's just an insufferable prick. Like, honestly, he is. Like, I will give him credit for trying to fool Hindle to get the doctor out. But, mm. like, he just comes across like such a bratty child. Like, when he's playing ga- uh, drafts with Nyssa, like, rather than trying to see, like, you know, okay, what is the state of how tired she is? She's like, oh, no, she's useless. You know, like, she's completely hopeless. How can she be? That type of stuff. And it's not even said, like, with the kind of a cheeky wink. It's... Mm. um, And then when, you know, he starts playing, like, you know, he starts running the stick across the wind chimes and the doctor tells him to stop it. Like, you know, he again puts on the big sulk. And no matter what the doctor tells him to do, he does the exact opposite of it. So he is just a child trying to strop at this stage. Mm. And I really hated how he blamed Tegan for everything. Yeah. I was yeah, I was just like, like, you didn't know a fucking thing. It's not like you knew what was going on. It's not like you were aware of the Mara. It's not like just this all stupid fucking bullshit and also let's not forget that you were also i think you you have been hypnotized at other points mm-hmm. as well and, and Hello. yeah exa- exactly and then there was the other fucking thing that really and i think this is the start of the the a tread that we will see play throughout the rest of the stories is his resentment of the doctor because he mm. said that he would have figured it out if the doctor hadn't interfered. And there's that whole thing of the doctor coming out going, what did you say? And like, you know, really seriously. And it's like, I think this is the thread from where we can actually see Adric slowly start going to be written out. Because, yeah, I just, oh, I couldn't fucking stand him in the story. I really couldn't. And also, now that I think about it, wasn't he the fucker who wandered off with like, Keegan being left by her, left on her own in the first place? Yeah, he wandered off so because he saw the exploration vehicle, so the doctor had to go to Adric. No, mm. why did why the doctor didn't bring Tegan along with him? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. that being said, Adric want, don't wander off. Yeah, like I really miss the mentor mentee relationship hmm. he had with the fourth doctor, and you would think with the fifth doctor being younger looking that that relationship would develop but it's gotten into a, like a really bitter angry position that I'm not a fan of it's it's coming across like competition because with the regeneration process Adric was kind of 
Hyman on the totem pole because he mm. knows what's going on. He's been traveling with the doctor. And then the situation they were in with Legopolis, it's like, okay, this is my jam. And then it's like, cool, fair enough. But as I said last week, not everything comes down to maths. Some of it comes mm. down to actual common sense or other real world applications, which unfortunately you're not, you don't have the same experience, that type of thing, you know? And he's just resentful of it because he's no longer getting the fucking pat on the head and the biscuit for being a good, the best boy. Hmm. I agree. I agree. So now we have Tegan. Okay. I have said before, and I mentioned it last week, Janet was not an experienced actress when she got this role. Hmm. But fuck me, Janet. Standing all brilliant performance. She was fantastic in this. I give her full credit for it. Um, I think it's probably Janet's best performance to date. Like her time in the dream place was so fucking good. She was so good. And she played possessed very well. Yeah. Which always is a, like, a little extra tick. Um, so yeah, I, I cannot fault Janet's performance in this. I thought she was very good. Um, because I said I had a bit of an issue with her last week in terms of Janet. But this one, no, seriously. Well done, Janet. It was fantastic. As for the character, I think this is an interesting story for her. Obviously, you know, she's a big driver of plot in the sense mm-hmm. of she is the catalyst for change in the story. Now, it's not of her own free will, but she is the catalyst for changing the story. But it's also really good to look back on to see what she's like on her own. Mm-hmm. So if you compare her, so in the mind sequence, if you compare that to in Logopolis, where she was wandering around the TARDIS on her own, in both instances she's scared, in both instances she's confused, but she carries herself so much better in this mm. you know and even when there's two of her and there's ten of her and whatever yes she's scared but it's not coming off as like the whiny screaming scared of last week there's a little bit of whining because she's afraid which is understandable do you know what I mean but it's not coming off as bad and I don't know if that is the writing I don't know if it's Janet but I thought it was very good and I like comparing Legopolis and even last week to this where she just kept fucking going on about I need to get home, what if I get fired? Like oh fuck off. Mm. This you can see like her performance in this story reminds me a lot of in Castrovalva, where she was like, you know, rolling up sleeves, you know, figure out how the fuck this works. I'm like cool. If you went from Castrovalva to this story and skipped last week, mm. from a Tegan perspective, it flows perfectly. Yeah. Last week is a weird Tegan blip that makes no sense. That's a very um, good obviously point. If we, obviously, if we skip last week, we don't get Nissa's amazing story last week. So I can't do that. Mm. But, you know. um, I also really like the little bit at the end where she can't look away from the Mara serpent form. You know, she gets her caught in a trance looking at it. I'm curious to see if it actually has a lasting effect on her. Um, 
I think it would be really good if it did. Um, because it would definitely give Janet more to play with. And also, this is something I'm curious about. I have mentioned before that the first time I met Janet Fielding was at a convention. She made a comment, rubbed me the wrong way, and I've sort of held it against her ever since. Um, I do wonder if this is kind of what she meant, though. Because it hasn't been often that we've had a companion, you know, be separated for such a long time on their own and have their own one-to-one -one experience with a villain that the Doctor never meets. The Doctor never sees the dream form of the Mara hmm. and never really communicates properly with the Mara, whereas Tegan did. And I wonder if this is kind of what she was hinting at when she made that comment, that it wasn't just all running away and screaming or calling to the Doctor and screaming. I wonder if this is what she meant, that she got to do something a bit more meaty than we've maybe seen with previous companions. Not that previous companions haven't had amazing stuff to do, they have. But I think this whole going into the mind's eye is very different from what we've seen before. Mm. Yeah, like I like I'll always stand up and defend the majority of the female companions uh that have come mm. before her because of we've had some fantastic uh, performances from them, especially back in the days of where it was regular that the companions would be separated from the Doctor. Like, mm. you know, yeah. like some of your Barbara or Vicky or Polly or Zoe or mm. Joe and even Sarah Jane. Uh, so, like, I think where... But I do think that there was a a time where... Mm, I think it was probably coming up until, you know, around the Sarah Jane side of things is where it was like, it did kind of become a thing of where they were becoming separated less and less. And they, we had some great stories with Leela, but, uh, you know, we saw some really bad ones with her. And then with Romana one, Romana one was, you know, we, we love Mary and she had some really good set up performances. I think maybe we saw with Romana too, but there's a lot of clinginess mm -hmm. and shriekiness and things like that. But again, we talked about the whole, writing fiasco surrounding Roma uh, Lala's time on it. Um, but, like, I get, like, that this is... And, like, Janet has kind of said it before. It was like that. It's a new era. And mentality for, for like, you know, women in media, especially science fiction media, was changing or was attempting to be changed. So they wanted to try and break the mold a small bit. And maybe it was just, like, a generalization as opposed to the specific nature of things. Mm. But I do um, wonder if like, this is the type of story she had in her mind when she was making those yeah, comments. Yeah, possibly. You know? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, no, like, because like, I agree with you. I think that this is a really good Tegan slash Janet performance. Um, like, while once she comes out of it, there's not really a whole lot, you know, that Tegan kind of contributes to stuff other than acting as like the punching bag for Adric. Um, and I know I do like uh, the, she had her like throw it into the fire, Mr. Frodo moment at the <laughs> end when she was like caught looking at, uh, Kinda, I'm sorry, at the Mara. And you're like wondering if that would have a lingering effect. And it's like, well, the, the writer of this story did only one other story and it's called Snake Dance. So, <laughs> let's see. 
Um, but no, the I'm fully in agreement with you in terms of her performance or Tegan's performance within the dreamscape because mm. she's completely by herself. She's met by Jesus Christ, even the Joker's worst nightmare. Mm. <laughs> like this like fucking shrieking demonic Victorian ghoulish creature. Um, and then there's the whole thing of being presented with a perfect copy of herself and the potential loss of her individuality. And like, you can tell that she's trying to act tough, but you can see that she's scared underneath it because if she gives into the fear, she'll crumble. And I think that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to rationalize her way out of things. And I agree that this is a huge step up from last week because I said last week, I felt like a lot of her dialogue was either moaned or shouted. Uh, here it's like, you can still tell like that there's the fear there, but no, there's the, there's a bit of the metal that a lot of people have said about Tegan that you can see, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's, this is, this is the type of Tegan that I can enjoy watching going forward, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I agree. So then we have Todd. Yeah, so it's interesting in this story that, you know, we said we put Todd in as a story-based companion. In many ways, Todd is the companion of this yeah. story. Mm-hmm. She spends the most time with the Doctor. She does a lot of the stereotypical companion things of what's that? What do you mean? What are you doing? Doctor, this happened. The screaming cliffhanger and whatever. She has most of the stereotypical companion moments. Whereas Adric is off playing soldier to Hindle and Tegan Mm -hmm. is off in the dream state. So Todd is in many ways Todd is the companion. Mm Mm-hmm. For this story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I love, though, is that she's an Elizabeth Shaw companion. <laughs> <laughs> in the sense of, like, constantly questioning the doctor in the sense of, dude, what the fuck are you on about? This makes no sense. What yeah. are you talking about? Like, she's obviously, I mean, at one point, she's obviously very scared. You know, like, when he's opening the box, she's not quite sure because, like, Saunders is being super weird mm-hmm. um, but she's not super screamy she's clearly well educated she presents herself well, she hands the situation well she doesn't default to oh the doctor is like all knowing and whatever yeah. she's like no, she'll play the companion role but she also knows her own mind she's a, a scientist in her own right and she can drive drive decision and change by herself um, again very Liz Shaw in that regard um i do find it interesting and they never really fully explained this that the the box doesn't affect her because she's a woman Mm. (laughs) but like they never try to explain that other than on this planet women are arbitrarily more intelligent than men Mm. Um, and the fact that the doctor is either, I mean, 
Hannah's just the doctor's an idiot. I'm like, he's either an idiot or super effeminate. <laughs> but yeah, like I liked Todd. I I liked her interactions. I it's not that I didn't care our other companions weren't around, but I was thoroughly enjoying her. Um and yeah, she was the I think the most companion like story based companion we've had in a while. Yeah. No, I, I'd agree. I'd agree. Because I, I think it's been a while since the Doctor has partnered up with a female story-based companion. It has. I'm trying to think of the last time, and I'm really struggling to do that. Like, would you go back nearly as far as the Ark in space? Yeah, but even then, it wasn't as one-on-one as this is. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I really also, am struggling think, for when the Doctor was as one-on-one with a female story-based companion as this. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I can't go back to Anne Travers, like. It might be. It might be, actually. Christ. Yeah, I just gotta, I'm just going to quickly look up the, um, the stories there just to see. Because, like, if that's the case, well, we've really been missing out. Um, okay, so I said, yeah, because, like, when space Zoe actually becomes the companion, uh, maybe the seeds of death. I can't remember your one there, but I think she had some interactions with the doctor, and we had. John's first season, Joe's whole thing. I I think we might actually be looking at uh, either Seeds or Web of Fear. Who was that in Seeds? She was the the control or the one in charge of like the Earth based fucking transmat facility. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I still don't yeah. think. But but e- even then, like I know, I think probably Anne Travers is you're fucking looking at that yeah. scenario. But it's been yeah, but it's a long while since we've seen it, and it's always great to see it. Uh, because it was an interest. It's always an interesting dynamic to see what the Doctor will be like with them, and like Sanders does, as you said, like she does come across like very much an actual companion. Like the times where she's shrieky or screamy it's usually because of shock more than anything else mm. like at the you know like the end of episode two where it was like don't open the box and the box opens and she just screams it's like it's a fucking jack-in-the-box <laughs> like, of course like it's gonna cause you to be a bit of a sh- shriek out loud or whatever i fucking but hate jack-in-the-boxes you're like will ferrell and elfus he's testing <laughs> but the countdown to a clown yeah oh yeah no (laughs) Um, but you know like she she's actually very independent here like i love the bit where the doctor flips the coin and he says it's like oh heads we go this way tails we go this way and it comes up heads and she just goes tails and just walks off um really enjoyed that um i liked her at the end, because she's the one that stops Hindle from blowing stuff up because she mm. realizes that he's essentially a child. So you just, how do you handle a, a child? 
tell them not to do something and they will do it. Um, so yeah, like it was, she's definitely not one of the ones I could see becoming like a TARDIS companion, but mm. she's definitely one of the high points of the story, I think. And again, she, she's a kind of story-based companion that like, I could see her cropping up in another story. Yeah. Do you know, and them having another adventure. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Like, you, know? you could always like see like another colonization attempt, or mm. she has gone off to explore to see if Mara-like entities exist on other worlds. You know that type of thing, mm. because like she's she was the one to hypothesize that the Kinder were actually telepathic, mm. and so yeah. Um, yeah, no, like, I I just think like her interactions with everyone, like obviously with the doctor because he's the main focus, but how before they become mentally compromised, like handling Hindle and Sanders as well, very good. Yeah. Okay, so prominent characters we have two Kinda and two. I was gonna say pricks, but <laughs> they go on their own journeys. <laughs> they go on their own journeys. Um, so we have Sanders, Hindle, Karuna, and Pana. And what way would you like to do these? Okay, let's do, let's do them that way. Might as well. Um, Sanders. What I like about Sanders is that, in many ways, he is the same man at the beginning that he is at the end. And the same is true of Pindle. Sanders at the beginning is someone who has his own way of doing things, doesn't really give a shit about protocol and where they're doing it. He's just get his way and this is how you do it, whatever. Sanders at the end, in a nice way, mm. doesn't restrict himself to protocol. He has his own way of doing it. You'll be fine, Hindle. You're not going to get arrested. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So that fundamental core of him is the same, mm-hmm. both when he's a prick and when he's a nice guy. Yeah. Him being a prick at the beginning, it's like, oh, it's every fucking military-esque leader of a colony type thing we've yeah. seen in all of Doctor Who. It's an ongoing person thing. Him in like the middle to like middle to the start of the end, where he has that childlike mind, and like he's cutting mm. out people and whatever. I think is adorable as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he was so cute and like massive credit. I mean, Richard Todd, right? I haven't seen him in anything else, right? All those other things I mentioned, I've never seen it, but. It's almost like he was a different person. And just to put it in context for people, so I watched episode one of Kinda. Um, usually, actually, I watch all four episodes in one go. Um, because of the way my week worked out this week, I didn't do that. Mm. So I watched episode one yesterday morning. And then I watched the rest of it. I watched two and three on the train home, and then I watched episode four last night. And to be honest, I got to to like the reveal of Saunders, the the nice Saunders, the sort of brain. Mm. And part of me was like, is that the same fucking actor? Like, it, 
the change is so drastic in terms of how he's portrayed. For a second, I actually thought it was a different actor. It wasn't Oscar nominated for nothing. <laughs> like, fair fucks to me. Brilliant job. It was an amazing performance. Um, I do find it interesting and I do wonder. So, like, he does get very childlike at one point. Hmm. Like, very childlike. Like, is it cutting out paper people and being super excited that Hindle likes them? Um, and I do wonder at the, like, how long does it take? Hmm. So, Pana and, um, I keep forgetting the other one's name, Pana and Karuna, Karuna gave him the box, um, clearly sensing that, like, he was a very angry person, he was making decisions based on anger, and that, like, that wasn't who he truly was, and so they wanted to heal him and help him, like, solve that internal struggle or whatever that was going on inside him. I'm like, is the childlike state the healing period? Like, is that the interim phase to get you to the man you could and should have been at the end? Mm. Because like, at no point between when he returns to the base and really the final scene of him and Hindle walking through the garden and discussing it, would I have trusted him to lead anything? Because mm-hmm. he was clearly compromised. Whereas in the last scene, clearly he's stabilized. And he's fine. So I wonder if that like super childish nature in the middle, was that the healing period? Like was that the healing nature of the box doing its thing? Um but yeah, um super amazing performance. He had a fucking prick at the beginning. Um and a character we've seen 50 million times over. But like I said, I do love the fact that the core aspect of him, which is someone who's not bound by the regulations mm. if he thinks there is a better way, is still true at the end. Yeah. How about you? you know, like, we actually have some very similar thoughts there, like because, like, yeah, like, we get actual Sanders for one episode. Mm. And he's an absolute asshole. Like as you said, like he's the typical attitude of a colonizer or a military colonizer from his perspective, anyway. Like that. Oh, it's fine for us to take hostages. It's it's the norm, and they're not even simple savages, and so on and so forth. Um, his childless persona is yeah funny to watch, uh, especially given Richard Todd's background of World War Two fucking paratrooper. <laughs> um, um what and you also kind of pointed out that he exhibits free will at the end similar to how he is at the start of floating regulations you know like mm. should we follow the manual you know why, why do we need to follow the manual versus you what manual that type of thing mm. what's interesting about him though is that it raises a conversation that you and i have had and it also raises a conversation that uh, friends on the Mission Log podcast had going way, way back uh, when John, uh, when Ken was on the podcast, they talked about that episode of Star Trek, the original series with the spores mm. that made everyone really kind of fucking peaceful, hippy dippy. And it was like the whole, and then we talked about in Underworld, the calming ray used on mm. Leela. 
And here it's like, okay, I get that. They said at the end, it's a healing device. And is it a case of like that? It just re what's the best way to put it out? It balances everything in the way that the human brain should ideally work. Or is it actually removing negative aspects of someone's, is it forcibly removing negative aspects of someone's or perceived negative aspects of someone's personality? Because Mm. going, so if we go back to Underworld, because that's the one that we watched and discussed, like that thing takes away Leela's free will as such. It renders her back to just being, I hate to use the phrase, but but simplistic, essentially. Mm. And here Sanders comes along and he's like, very, he is very much like a child, which is like, I have this for you. Why don't you open it? And the big kind of, the smile at the start, it goes from, it does grow and it goes from being fucking eerie to somewhat endearing as the story goes on. But I'm just wondering here, is there an element of free will being removed? Because mm. I know like that, yeah, he is an asshole at the start. But like, if you take away someone's facility to make a harsh call or so, basically I'm trying to get that is like, what happens when a time comes where that prickish nature needs to be there and it's no longer there? Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Um, I think I think it's interesting. Do you know, I think there's there's there is a big moral question around yeah. it, certainly. And you know, it's you know And it kinda of ties in with the, the the biblical aspect of the Garden of Eden where everything is meant to be serene, there's not meant to be no negative attributes of any kind. Yeah, I suppose the bit that I'm sorry, the bit I was sort of struggling to formulate in my head there was yeah it's described as a healing ray right or it, it heals yeah you. do the kinder or does anyone have a right to heal you without your permission mm. do you know like Saunders at the beginning thought that he was fine do we never get any indication of him being frustrated with himself or whatever um you know, even if there was something mentally wrong with him, what gives you the right to force a fix on him without his permission? Yeah. And when we because think like, about it that way, it goes into a very weird realm of medical ethics and, yeah, you know, beyond in terms of... of because, because, because like... Sorry, go on. No, 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 you go on, you go on. Particularly when we talk about the fact that, you know, this story having aspects of, you know, um, holding a magnifying glass of colonialism and whatever, and, you know, forcing treatments on people, forcing conformity on people, that was the way of the colonizer. So mm-hmm. they're kind of sending mixed messages by having the natives quote unquote be the ones to try and get the colonizers to conform against their will yeah 
Yeah, no, it does because it's just, there's, no, there's no bones about it. In episode one, Sanders is, an, is a bad person. He is mm-hmm. not a good person, at least in the evidence that we're portrayed, where he is, as we said, he's the stereotypical colonizer. People, he perceives people as being less advanced than his people are, so therefore they are less than. Mm-hmm. But the thing about the kinda is, and Apana has said it that repeatedly, the kinda have gotten to a stage of technological supremacy that they eventually destroy themselves because presumably the Mara somehow manages to sneak in and causes this self-destructive nature and brings it all back to this Garden of Eden type scenario. Mm. I think that's what was good, kind of the message that they were going for here. And so I get like that the whole thing is we want to eliminate like, it comes across that the Pana's whole goal is that we have to stop the first steps that lead down towards this path that will lend us back to where we are. And the key ingredient to that is aggression. So this healing box removes that from what I can see here. Mm. But they're do but they're they're as you said, they're kind of doing it in a in a way which is I would like to see a bigger scope of this because the two people that they use it on are one is, as we said, he's the worst aspect. He's like the, the negativity of colonization personified, Mm. but the other person that they use it on is mentally impaired in the sense of like, he has snapped, he has gone into madness. Mm. So I, I would love to have seen like a, maybe like a bigger scope on this one to see if they're, what the stance on it would be if the doctor had a stance on us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So then we have Hindle. Hindle, you poor bastard. Um, Hindle confused me, right? Hmm. And maybe it's just because of the way I watched the first episode of this. It was very early in the morning. I hadn't gotten a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but so Hindle at the beginning is advocating for the native people he doesn't like the fact that they took I love they use the word hostages mm. which I'm like okay like, so you're aware of what you're doing to the he seems against it he seems against Saunders and whatever and yet, when he snaps, in what I can only describe as a sort of going native is not the right word, because he doesn't, because he stays in the base. Yeah. And he's there. Mm-hmm. But he gets a bit of jungle fever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it gets to him. Like, yeah. Not cabin yeah. fever. Cabin fever is different. <laughs> yeah. Um, But it's not that he becomes like the kinder he finds a way to control them. And I'm like, was he also being controlled by the Mara and we just didn't know it? Like, because otherwise, he's just some poor fucker who lost his mind and became a guy jumping out of a box that's meant to represent a building and getting upset that you spoiled his surprise. Yeah. Um... I mean, 
again, fantastic performance. You know, well done to your man, but like, I didn't get it. Do you know? Like, I didn't get what it was meant to be other than a fucking Fruit Loop. <laughs> mm. Is that all it was meant to be? Um, I don't know. I get. I, I always feel like we're missing the triggering event for him, or else I missed yeah. it. Yeah. No, like, no, like I'm the same. Like that, his descent into madness is almost instantaneous. Like he, f- you're eating, you're eating forbidden fruit. <laughs> Literally, you know, you're not allowed to eat this. And then he just like fucking flips a table, sees the kind in the mirror, which I thought they possessed him, but no, mm-hmm. they, 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 there's the whole you stole our souls thing. And then it's just, he's a raving lunatic. Almost like, do you remember the power of Krull? Mm-hmm. And you had the guy that was like very anti-native. Yeah. Who got who got increasingly more anti-native as it went on? That's what like that's the kind of similarity I see here. But this thing was like, but Hindle's one was just sped up so that we got pretty much it for the entire story. Mm. It, it was like as you said, it just went from not to a hundred, but it went into a brick wall <laughs> as opposed to. Um, seeing where it was going with things and like it did get very kind of confusing because he went from being almost totally mad like in terms of like angry insane to being very childish and i was like it's almost like he's acting as if he had been exposed to the kinder box but then it's like is he just feeding off of is he getting like a contact high from Sanders' good vibes? Hmm. It, it just felt very strange. Like it just went from naught to a hundred, and it was like, "Whoa, what happened there?" Yeah, and like no, man, as, you said, as you said, yeah, as you said, your man did a good job with doing the whole, um, the, the just like. Even par- parading the kinda in their uniforms and pretending, like, acting like Sanders, and being actually someone that was well aware of everything that was going on around him, despite his mania. You know, he was like eagle-eyed, checking it. Like he couldn't, he knew that they were trying to stop him, type thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was really, really strange. Really, strange. I have, a, I have a question for you. Okay. Hindle and Saunders. Right, because also mm-hmm. Miss Dimit, these are their last names. Yes. Right. Do you think Saunders is or was married to a woman whose last name is Hindle? I can't say that the thought had entered my mind. Why do you... Because their dynamic at the beginning is very weird. But then as Hindle goes more and more insane, he talks about how his father used to beat him when he was younger. He's like, oh, my father beat me all the time and I'm fine. But then when Saunders returns, Hindle's like, no, mom, make him stop. Make him go away. 
And then Saunders keeps referring to Hindle as Sun. I know Sun can often just be a term of endearment. Yeah. But I'm like, are you two fuckers actually related? <laughs> uh, like, you could probably headcanon it, but like, it's not an uncommon it, thing it, for like, like, no, like guys, like, you know, like, like, you know, like, like we see here and like in the sense of like, guys that go insane like calling out for mother to protect them from the bad the boogeyman type thing and it's like sanders like like back in episode one sanders is an asshole to him so now when it's like pindle has snapped he just wants his mom to protect him oh yeah i know like i I totally get that yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. but it's an interesting way to look at it though the fact that he has that reaction and sanders Mm. keeps using son as a term of endearment yeah. The two of them together, I'm like, is it all just endearment and, you know, going cuckoo? Or is there something behind this? Because I'm like, you know, <laughs> like, was he the guy that beat you all the time when you were younger? <laughs> like, and now you're stuck on this planet with him for six seasons or whatever? Um, no, like, yeah. is it. it it was just a notion that came into my head when I was watching it. Because the more and more that like he kept referring to him as son, and I was like, I know son is just used as a term of endearment. I know it's quite a co- common term of endearment, but I'm like, is that all it is? Mm. Is it meant to be something else? No, I, I, that is an interesting way of looking at it, all right. So, we go on to Prana? Yep. Uh, like I said, uh, I did genuinely think that um, that was the, the woman who played Marin, Forbes. <laughs> mm-hmm. They look very much alike, very much alike. Um, Pana's an interesting character because she's the wise woman. She's also blind. Um, there's a certain uh, you know, aspect of uh. You know, mythology and like Greek charges and things that like the woman who is blind is the woman who sees everything. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, I I find it interesting that she's like, you know, we have to give them the box, and you know, for Todd, the box was a message. Come and hmm. find me, and I will explain all the things. Um, this is our culture. You come and find me, and, and we can we can discuss it. And that for the men, it was a healing thing of your mind is mentally fucked. <laughs> Let me help you <laughs> become unfucked. Um. So her her reason behind the box is interesting. I don't know if the effect of the box is a hundred percent her or not. I'm thinking it is, but I'm not quite sure because I don't really explain it very well. Um, I did also just realize that, like, so they give Saunders the box. He opens it, well, presumably in his little thing, which also I love how the arms just come out of, like, these flat rectangular sections. Mm. Um, But clearly while in the thing, he opened the box and the little jack-in-the-box jumped up. And then after he got mind whammied, he put the jack in the box back in the box <laughs> and closed it again. 
Okay. Um, also, why have the Jack in the Box aspect of this? Is that just to be a bitch? Like, why was that there? Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't question her motive, but I do question her method. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it does. And then, of course, the poor woman uh, gives a premonition so powerful that it, you know, kills her. Um, which is unfortunate. Um, I think she's an interesting character. I think I don't. I don't think we got enough of her. Um, no. Or I don't think we got enough of an explanation of like why is it that only the women can speak and men can't, and is it all women can speak, or is it just the wise women can speak? I don't know. Hmm. We didn't hear any other women talking. Or this whole. Uh, seven fathers thing yeah I mean fair enough you do you um, we won't judge um, but yes I think she's interesting it's very much like Marin. Um good intention questionable method hmm. also she called the doctor uh, an idiot repeatedly which is just very funny yeah like she kind of reminded me of like a of like a this mix of Dagobah Yoda and Peggy Mitchell from EastEnders, or, alter, or alternatively, like a female version of the First Doctor back in his early days. Yeah, um, yeah, because like the banter with the Doctor is very much like you may be clever, but you're still an idiot. Mm. <laughs> like the the Doctor of this is Chesterton. He yeah. he is Ian Tapana's first Doctor slash Yoda Piggy Mitchell. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot of EastEnders, so I don't know if I'm getting the Piggy Mitchell character right. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was like I wanted, to, I, I did want to see more of her. I wanted to see a lot more of her. I wanted to see like. The vision of the Mara and her presence, or not her, her the vision of like the ticking clocks, and like her being in it, it's it's very weird. It's very esoteric. It's like, what are we meant to glean from that? I know that you've talked before about the Mara coming back will be the destruction of all things, but it's still very weird, you know. Mm. Like a, a bit more exposition, please. Um, and like her stuff with Karuna was like because again, it's the the master and apprentice type scenario, and trying to get her to face the realities of it. Like she didn't because I, I I presume in her own way she did care, but she did mm. really treat her like an apprentice. Like she is very matter of factly with her, which is you have to do this. You need to do this. You, you think it is your task, so on and so forth. You know. Mm. No, but I def- I wanted to see a lot more of her. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then we have her apprentice, um, Karuna, and I have to admire Karuna in many ways. She does mm. have to deal with this blind bitch who's just very direct with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and also, um, I don't know if it's because of Panna's age or if it's just the way, the way 
is the way of the apprentice. The karuna is the conduit through which the men speak. Mm -hmm. So even when Pana is there, Pana doesn't connect with them. Karuna does. I don't know if that's part of her training or whatever, but it's interesting that Karuna, who's essentially a child, you know, is mm -hmm. the conduit through which the men speak and are heard. Um, what I find interesting is that there is a point where she goes along with the tribe or whatever you want to call them. Um, mm -hmm. when um, Aris comes to them and when he speaks, because obviously she's familiar with prophecy and she's familiar with all of it. And so there's a point where she gives herself over to it, but she also doesn't. You know, she does sort mm. of have a moment of, no, don't just follow. You have a function. You're meant to do this. Um, which I think is really interesting that, like, again, for once too young, she has that mentality. I do, again, I love when she sort of absorbs Hannah's um, being and is like, of course, I'm still me, idiot, or whatever. Like, I, I, mm -hmm. I love that. I thought it was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I do worry for her in a way at the end of the story. Like, you know, she's taking over from Pana and she's very, very young. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the girl who played her did a very good job. Again, um, very yeah. good performance there. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see, because like Todd mentions that like they're not recommended in plan for colonization. It'll be interesting to see that now that the secret's out, essentially, mm -hmm. what type of relationship does Karuna have with Todd and with Sanders and Hilda and with Sanders and um, um, Hindle before they leave? Does she continue to have a relationship with them? Does she keep her people separate? I mean, she's a young woman now, the leader, essentially, of this group. Um, so yeah, and I think she's a very interesting character. How about you? Just a quick question. Just a quick, quick question there, because I've been. Have you been saying Sanders or Saunders the whole time? I said Saunders first, then you said Sanders, so now I've been chopping and changing between the two of them. Okay, fair enough. Because sometimes like it's like, is she saying Saunders or is she saying Sanders? I'm saying both. Okay. Although I'm going to go to the wiki and. It is Sanders. I don't know why I have Saunders then. Uh, I I uh, I think if you write it in uh, Google Docs, it auto corrects to Saunders. Maybe. So maybe that might be it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Just, just, just pretend um, I'm saying Sanders the whole thing. Yeah. Karuna is the character herself was very was very good. I thought. She did a really good job um, mm. because she really is the shampoo, hippie, flower child uh, archetype in that she just wants everyone to get along and live in peace. Like she, she starts freaking out when she, you know, there's the whole like obedience, obey, obedience, when she gets that same reading off of everyone. It mm. really distresses her. Um. And like I like the part where yeah, like she basically absorbs Pana's essence along with all the essence of all the previous wise women and 
it's the whole yeah as you said like just essentially she's still karuna but she's also got everyone else inside her mm. um and there's an awful lot of salt built up in, in in those people i think um one thing i think is that like you know that she she's probably preparing for the fact that yeah i will inherit this one day mm. But I got the impression that like, she doesn't, she's not, she doesn't want Panna to die. Not because she's afraid of responsibility, but she just doesn't want Panna to die. No. But I, yeah, like, I, I, there I is think, a little like, bit of affection what, there in the romance. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever about, you know, Panna, any sort of reciprocal thing, I don't know. But I got it from Karuna that in her own way, she does love Panna. <laughs> What is springing to my mind now is something you just kind of said there. It's noteworthy that none of the other female kinda speak at any point. Mm. It is just the wise woman and the wise woman's apprentice. And the prophecies, and then there's the prophecies surrounding that once a male speaks, the male takes over the direction of um, the kinda people. Mm. And it's like, okay, is it is it the sense of that now that um Panna is dead, will a female child be born that will essentially become Kruna's apprentice because she's also have the ability of speech? Or will the ability of speech suddenly be granted to an existing female member of the people so that she can take over the role of apprentice and next in line? It's it, it's kind of interesting, like how is it? It's that in terms of leadership, everything seems to be matriarchal until such a time as the one prophesized man comes along. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I do, I don't know if like there was like an intentional spin on that. I would love to read more of uh, Chris Bailey's like original draft draft ideas, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. It's it's an interesting setup that I think I would have liked to have seen more. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. But there wasn't room in the story for more. No, and I, I think that is sometimes a problem with four-parters, is that there's too many ideas to fully develop mm. and sometimes they choose the less interesting ones to develop and it, well at least for me the ones that interest me more are the less developed ones in certain stories yeah yeah so i think that is that is the pitfall of when you try to incorporate too many teams into it mm. and then i suppose we have the villain such as it is which is the mara so the Mara is interesting in the sense that it's it's different from Sutek. It's different from the Animus. It's different from you know other mind controlling villains. The, the, the Fendal. The, I think the Fendal is probably the closest that comes to the. Yeah, probably, probably, but like the fact because. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, like, because, like, this seems to be, like, a psychic 
manifestation type thing, kind of like the Fendal was. Whereas like Sutek and the Animus are more physical things that have telepathic abilities. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't think we found out enough about the Mara. Clearly the mm. Doctor knows who or what the Mara is and Hannah knows who slash what the Mara is and Gruna knows who slash what the Mara is. But I don't think we actually get a good explanation. I think again, part of this is because the only person who interacts with the Mara directly is Tegan who doesn't know what to ask. Do you know? She's going completely blind. She's no clue. I think the different personas is interesting. Are you real? Are you here? Are you not? Um, And I think the way it takes over, because interesting, it's very much I almost sort of think that the Mara was sort of um, the inspiration for the trickster in later Doctor Who and in Sergeant Adventures. In the sense mm-hmm. that the Mara couldn't just take over Tegan or take over um, Aris without yeah. their permission. You need to let mm. it in. Which I always find an interesting concept. It's very much, you know, again, as is the nature of the story, versus the deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. Do you know, it can't take you by force. But if you let it in, then you're fucked. Um, and it will do whatever it can to make you agree. So in Tegan's case, it tortures her, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Mentally tortures her. In Iris's case, it kind of lies to get what it wants and stuff like that. Hmm. So I think that's very interesting. The big giant snake thing at the end, I'm like, okay. Fair enough. And it continued with the imagery of the story. You know, once you expel something that primarily exists in a mental state, how do you represent that in the real world so that we can see it and we know it's been destroyed? Hmm. Okay, the mark comes alive and the mark becomes a thing and the thing gets destroyed, whatever. Uh, that's all fine. Um, and also, I love the idea that it can't, it can't operate within its own reflection. Mm-hmm. I think the explanation for that is shit. Oh, yeah. evil can't bear to look at itself. Egan, evil often loves looking at itself. Um, mm-hmm. But the concept was very very interesting and you know it has been alluded to in trivia and by you opening your big mouth that you know we are likely to see tomorrow again in some form mm. um and i'm curious i'm really curious again i'm mostly curious because of tegan not gonna lie um yeah but i'm curious in general to see how this villain or villain concept or villains or whatever way you want to describe it um, is going to be mm. progressed in, in the future <clears throat> yes my mouth is quite generous <laughs> um, first of all the physical manifestation of the Mara can fuck right off nope no 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 <laughs> I don't need to see that shit um, <clears throat> the presentation of the dreamscape fantastic really well done Mm. as were the performances 
I would say the performance of Duca more so than the other two, because if you're presenting a entity that has in of itself multiple personalities or multiple aspects, flesh them all out. Don't do what this is like. Okay, for me, this is um, is it hide and cue. When we first meet the Borg? Mm. Isn't Hide and Q where Riker becomes a Borg? Or becomes becomes a, where Riker becomes Q? Um What's the what's the one where we first meet the Borg, so Q who? No. Uh let's look up. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, I'm right. Yeah, Q-Who. Hide Q, as you said. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, so you're right. Hide and Q is the only Okay, this kind of reminds me of Q Who. Mm. We're introduced to the Borg, and we only get... Um, oh, Christ. Name is fucking escapes me. Guinan. Sorry. We only mm. get Guinan's perspective of things. And then we're all told, it's like, they're coming. They're eventually going to come now. So we have to wait until the Borg's next appearance before we find out a bit more. Mm. It feels like the it feels like the Mara were introduced as a potential recurring entity down the line, so you're only given a taste of it. Mm. And alternatively, much like some really good science fiction, the evil entity sometimes it's best not fully explaining it. Sometimes yeah. it's the fear fear of the unknown is like is the spookiest thing. Um. So here it was like, okay, yes, I, I I want more. I I need to know more about it. Is it stuck on this planet? And was its whole thing that it's just there to completely destroy the kinder every time that they get to a certain stage? Or do they have aspirations of getting fully off the planet? Hmm. I don't know. Like, can a entity from collective dreamscape be bound to a single planet like like what what is it essentially like there's a lot of interesting questions here unfortunately they're not answered adequately for me yeah and like also just kind of to go to go back to your earlier point janet as the as the mara is fucking brilliant because she does play it sinisterly and serpentine. Mm. She really does. Like she goes, she read the mission brief. Um, and I don't think you get that with Aris. Not, not to the same extent. Uh, so Janet, yeah, again, tips the scales in that. I, I just want I just want more. Like there's there there's there's questions that need answering there and unfortunately they're just not answered in the story. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But we potentially have another story to find out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, potentially. And and if we don't there like it's like my interest has been peaked enough to kind of go, I would like to see the Mara return in the upcoming seasons. Yeah, and like I said, I do wonder if the Mara is the basis for the trickster. Do you know? 
Yeah. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. So we have reached the, the end of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end of all things, if you will. <laughs> um, or the beginning. Yes. Who knows? No, it's actually the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and at the end, as we as we always do, we each give the story a score of five. So Trish, you went first. You go first now. I really enjoyed the story, which is weird. There was a couple of reasons why I thought I might not. One being the fact that the Mara manifestations in pagan reality do wear costumes that are slightly triggering. Not as mm-hmm. bad as some other stories will have, I'm sure, but slightly triggering. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Nissa wasn't in it. Um, like I said, mm. I really liked Nissa last week, and I really wanted to see more of Nissa, so I was a bit gutted that she wasn't going to be in this one. Um, there was a lot I didn't like about this story. Adric. Poor Matthew Waters, all I can say. They need to fucking write him better material for fuck's sake. Um, a lot of yada yada in the plot. You're not explaining things properly, not taking the time um, to go through things, not having time to go through things. Um, the Lack of an explanation on Hindle's breakdown. Like you said, he saw someone eating an apple and lost his shit. Um, you know, things like that, I'm like, okay, that was annoying, that was annoying, that was annoying. However, I did thoroughly enjoy it. I loved Tegan Parks. Like I said, the issues with her last week, fucking loved it this week. I loved Todd as a story-based companion. And I think, you know, it, it rem- Similar to, um, I've forgotten the name of the My brain is not working today at all. Let me go find the thing I'm thinking of. Similar to the web planet, right? Mm-hmm. The web planet was a questionable story <laughs> in some aspects, but the concept of the animus mm. is something we've been referring back to ever since we talked about that. The animus was amazing. So I see this story in a similar vein. Hmm. Do you know where I want to know more about Damara? I want to see if the connection with Tegan becomes an issue in the future, either in connection to Damara or just Tegan's mental state in general. I want more of it. Um, I kind of like I want to explore more about the Kinda. Like if there's an audio story that goes through more about the Kinda, I would kind of be interested to, to listen to that to see more about them. Um but like I said there was a lot of I didn't like either. So for me, I thoroughly enjoyed it, even though I broke up my watching of it throughout the day. Uh, so I gave it three point five. I really enjoyed it. How about you? Uh just one second. I'm actually looking to see if there is a kinder-based audio story. Uh, so the Children of Set, which you mentioned earlier, 
is an audio story, but it's a fifth doctor story. And second there. No, I don't think it's got anything to do with the kinder. No. Yeah. George that. Uh, I don't know why it would make me think that it might be a Mara story, but well, also interestingly, I also gave the web plans a frequent hug. Yes, uh, I was just going back to the scores, and you did. Uh, no, it doesn't appear to be any Mara influence in Children of Set. I would have thought it would be, but no. Hmm. Um, so, with this story, I think they're, like, one thing I've enjoyed about the story is that I've actually enjoyed discussing it. Hmm. And I think I enjoyed discussing it more than I enjoyed the story itself. Because like there was stuff in it that I enjoyed. Like again, Janet's performance and Tegan's I kept wanting to go back to the dreamscape. Hmm. And like I and I've said multiple times that is the hallmark of a good Doctor Who story. When you separate the companions from the Doctor, you want to bounce back and forth between each crowd and keep going, oh, no, no, go back. Oh, wait, no, no, go back. Oh, wait, no, go back. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Mm. Uh, the performances by the supporting cast were all really good. Um, I thought Todd was quite enjoyable. But... At the same time, there's again, like you, the stuff that I didn't like about the story. Adric is, he's looking for a podium spot for the punting games, you know, if, if he's carrying on like this. Um, Hindle is actually, Hindle is more of a villain than Lamara is, uh, because he's the more, and he's not even a villain as such, like he's just a poor civil servant that snapped. But that is, like, as we say, it's, we said before it's just sped up way too fast that we don't go on that journey Hmm. um and i would have loved to have seen nissa in the story not because of the fact that it would just be having Nissa in the story but the potential um comparisons or similarities to the melkor on tracking you know, these visiting evil entities that manifest themselves. Like, I would love to have seen Nissa's reaction with the Mara, or interaction with the Mara, in, in any capacity. So I think they that was a missed opportunity there. Um, so I gave it the same as I gave last week, which is I gave it a two. Okay. Um, and like, there's as I said, like there's there's bits and pieces that I like and that's all it really is is like I would go and watch back bits and pieces because as I said to you I found it kind of hard to connect with the doctor this time around mm. and there's a lot of good you know thought provoking teams that have come up on this but I only but they're I suppose only good in the sense of like that I've enjoyed discussing them there with you. Whereas mm. if I if I was watching them from the story perspective, I was like, it, it is what's there isn't enough. Like I need someone to talk to about this, and thankfully you have that you're here as well. So you know, uh, yeah. So that's my kind of thoughts on this one. I'm curious now. I'm going back through our scoring. See, when is the last time you and I had a points difference of over one? Oh. Um. 
think it might be Colony in Space. I think it might be. I'm not going to play it. Colony in Space, there was a two-point difference. I was 4.5, you were 2.5. Uh... Yeah, no, uh, Carnival of Monsters. I was a, you were 2.5 and I was a 4. That's yeah, the last time we won a half point difference. Jeez. Which is a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but you know what? This is why we have this. There's going to be stories you like that yes. I don't. There's going to be stories I like that you don't. Um, mm-hmm. And that is just the way it is. But the important question is, what do our listeners think? Absolutely. Are, would they score closer to a 2 or closer to a 3.5? We don't know. You just uh, write in and let us know. Yep. And uh, some of our fan base are they're more familiar with Peter's era than they would be anyone else's. So it would be nice to get their thoughts on it if like, this story holds a special place in your heart or any of the upcoming ones also hold special places in your heart. So please, get in contact. Yeah, answers on a postcard. Not really yes. just, because I'm not giving you our address. Answers on a yeah, no. appropriate social media. Yeah, you can take a picture of a postcard and then send it on yeah. to us on social media. No, yeah. Um, yeah. Next week, though, we have The Visitation. Um, mm-hmm. which was actually filmed before Kinda. Production order mm-hmm. in the stories is fucking weird. Um, yeah, it really is. But that's what we're going to have next week. So until then, bye-bye. Bye.